All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We're wrapping up the week uh, with the Minor Prophets. Specifically, we're not completely through all 12 books of the Minor Prophets, but we are wrapping up in the book of Nahum. N-A-H-U-M. All right, raise of hands. Kevin, Rich, Tom, how many of you have, have really ever studied Nahum before? I've never taught through this. I've read through it. I mean, I went through it with seminary, but man, it was just kind of like, as I began to study this, I... I actually got really excited about this book. I was like, what is my problem? Like, this is three chapters, and I'm like getting excited about Nahum, and I don't even know how to pronounce it. Nahum. Nahum. Go ahead, try it, Kevin. Nahum. <laughs> Kevin likes to try Nahum. <laughs> All right, so here's what happens. Uh, this is taken from the prophet, uh, Nahum, who he's giving a war, an oracle. He's giving a warning against Nineveh. Come back to Nineveh. Jonah, our buddy Jonah, didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because he didn't like him. He didn't like Nineveh. That's really what it comes down to. And so he ran from him, right? Remember this? He's fleeing from the will of God. And then in all of this, God pursues him. The next thing you know, he's fulfilling God's will. Remember, we talked through all this. And then finally, he gets to experience the will of God. How? The Ninevites respond to Jonah's message. I think it's a pretty cool picture, but the problem is... Now you here you have uh, Nahum. I'm going to get into the timing of all this, okay? I'm going to get into this. But now you have Nahum uh, years, uh, years later talking about the destruction that's coming to Nineveh. So revival fell to the Ninevites, and now he's saying it's going to not last. Kind of makes you wonder uh, what they did wrong. You know, the word Nahum means comfort or consolation. Uh <laughs> You guys remember how we had Micah and Micaiah or Kev and Kevin? Remember this? Nahum could be short for Nehemiah. Strangely enough, it seems to be the theme. Rich or Richard or Tom or Thomas. Uh, this, is the, this is the picture, you guys, of what's coming. Uh, no, that's fine, Kevin. You can just go there. Nahum one uh, fifteen. The wicked one will never again march through you. And then he says at the very end, he will be entirely wiped out you are seeing a prophecy of the destruction of Nineveh. Now, crazy enough, Jonah did that, right? And they repented. In this case, not an option. Like, you don't see this unfold. And in fact, uh, you know, in, in the prophet's mentality, somet- sometimes, very rarely, it's an emphasis on their personal lives. Like, remember Hosea, and he had to marry Gomer, right? Remember this? And so you see some of the lives in there. You don't really see any of that, to be honest, uh, with Nahum. Uh, Nahum was an Elkishite. All we know is either that was the birthplace or the place of his ministry in Nahum 1, one. Now, in Elkishite, you got two options of where it could be. It's a thought. Again, nobody really knows for sure. John MacArthur says one is it could be considered northern Iraq, okay, which the town is called Elkosh. Uh, it's, this is, could have been where Nahum would have been a descendant of the exiles that were taken to Assyria in 722. So let me, let me say that again. He could have been a descendant of the exiles that were taken to Assyria, right? Because Kevin, if you go to the kings and the prophets, remember what happened in 722, you have the northern kingdom, they were taken into captivity and most of them were wiped out, right? So he could have been a family member, possibly of one of those exiles. That's one of the options, okay? Then another option is, is that maybe uh, an Elkishite could refer to Capernaum as a town of Nahum. Okay, that's another thought located in southern Judah. 
Basically, those are two options. The problem is in all of the scenario of Nahum, there's no kings mentioned. The message of judgment, okay, is against Nineveh. It portrays Nineveh as a nation of strength. So I'm trying to give it an understanding. And then MacArthur says, uh, Abraham, uh, Nahum mentions uh, the fall of Noaman. Okay, so in 3, 8 through 10, which is Thebes, in 663 BC. Now remember, I always say this, whenever you get a historical backdrop, it helps you understand why he's saying what he's saying. So in 663 BC, it appears to be fresh in their minds. There's a fall of the city and there's no mentioning of, re, of a rekindling that occurred, you know, 10 plus years later. So maybe there's a suggestion that Nahum was during the mid 7th century date of BC. Okay. During the reign of Manasseh. Again, it's all a thought. 695 to 642 BC. Okay, so that's some of the backdrop. Remember, Nahum is an Elkishite. Uh, some of the other backdrop that you have here is that Assyria, I want to make sure everybody understands, was at the height of power. Okay, uh, they recovered from the Sennacherib defeat in 701 BC uh, in Jerusalem. And then you have a century after Nineveh repented. Okay, a century after Nineveh repented with Jonah, she returned to idolatry, violence, and arrogance. In Nahum 3, 1 through 4, it talks about all of the things that Nineveh has turned back to. Okay, crazy enough, her borders even extended all the way into Egypt. Like, it was a powerhouse. Okay, clearly it was a powerhouse. Uh, but I will tell you this, eventually what happened was that God brought Nineveh down under the rising power of Babylon's king and his son, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So there was a king and then the son, the son would have been Nebuchadnezzar in 612 BC. The Assyrians demise turned out as God had prophesied. Okay. So eventually Assyria was brought down to its knees, probably through Nebuchadnezzar at 612 BC. Okay. But you got to understand a hundred years earlier, they repented. They repented at the message of Jonah. Now, this is what I've written here. And I, I, I said this actually when we, when uh, Rich, when we talked about the book of Jonah earlier, Nahum really is a sequel to Jonah. It's almost like a Luke and an Acts or a first Kings and a second Kings. I mean, it really is. You have Jonah and you have Nahum. I never, I never knew that. I never put all that together. So here you have one messenger who doesn't want to deliver the word and they respond with repentance. And so here's, I think for me as a ministry, I just need to say this so it makes me feel better. I'm, I'm totally serious about this. You know what happens is you see a revival break out in Nineveh. And like, I don't know what else you can say. They fasted, they, they wept, they repented, everything you can think of. The king, everybody, the animals, nobody could even eat or drink, right? Kevin, this was a true, genuine move of God. A hundred plus years later. Destruction is coming. Because they turned away from the Lord. And you know, when you look at why why the destruction, they had gotten so proud, you guys, of themselves. Nineveh. After they had repented, turned to the Lord, they become so proud. You know, here it says John MacArthur says this. Uh, he said that they thought their city was um, completely invulnerable. In other words, there was no vulnerable points in their city. Their walls literally reached 100 feet high 
And at some points, 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep, like they thought they were untouchable. Crazy enough that the prophecy said it brought comfort to Judah that said that those that or the, the cruel Assyrians destruction was going to come to them. In fact, it says in Nehemiah, one, I'm sorry, Nahum 1.8, if you'll go there, I keep doing that, sorry. Nahum 1.8 describes Nineveh with an over, it's going to destroy Nineveh with an overwhelming flood. Like you guys, they're going to be gone. And in fact, this is really bizarre. In 3.11, Nahum 3.11, uh, this is kind of the last picture before we begin to dig into this word. In Nahum 3.11, it says that, that this city will become hidden. You will also become drunk. You will hide yourself. You will also seek refuge from the enemy. So many people have prophetically said that, you know, we couldn't find Nineveh. Nineveh after it was destroyed. Well, when it was destroyed in 612 BC, okay, the site itself was not discovered of Nineveh until, listen to this, 1842 AD. So in 612 BC, destroyed, Assyria was destroyed. Not until 1842 did they even find the remnants of this city. Isn't that crazy? So even just these little prophetic pictures come to, come, come to fruition. And I'll tell you this, revival, no question, in Jonah broke out. No question. No question, revival broke out. And no question, destruction is coming to Nineveh. Two complete different books. Jonah 1 and Nahum 2. <laughs> people turned to the Lord and then people ran from the Lord. That's what you're going to see in the book of Nahum. When we get into ver- uh, 1 verse 1, let's begin this process. I, have you guys ever put this together? Have you ever seen that together? No, but it makes sense. It, I mean, when you read them. It totally makes Yeah, when, when you read them. <laughs> when you actually read them. I don't it's think true. I've ever read Nahum to like read it. Yeah. I read Jonah, but you'd. Yeah, it makes sense. Hang out here. So here you have a warning concerning Nineveh, Oracle, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Scripture says in verse 2, you're going to begin to see really, uh, really 2 verse 8, you're going to begin to see how God shows us his power. Okay, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. You know, sometimes if you closed your eyes and you didn't know where you're reading, you might, you might think you're talking about Obadiah and Edom, right? Because isn't Obadiah addressing Edom? Like, it's kind of like he's writing to another people group that what? Have brought destruction to go on his own people. So in Nahum 1.3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His path is in the whirlwind, and storm and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea so that it dries up. Remember, the power of God. And he makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan, like these lush pastures. And Carmel, you know, this fruitfulness mentality. They wither. They're gone. Even in the flower of Lebanon. Lebanon, like these beautiful cedars, they wither. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. And the earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. I mean, even this image of earthquakes. Verse six, it says, who can withstand his ignitation? Who can endure his burning anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Even rocks are shattered before him. I mean, that's really a picture of, of Obed, Obadiah, right? You remember how Edom is in the cliffs and like they don't have a chance of standing. It just says his rocks are, even the rocks are shattered before him. 
Scripture then continues on in verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Let me just say, this is already the language that we're going to use with Nahum today because this is all we're going to cover. And this is our picture of the word for Christ. Remember, we always have a word in all 66 books. The phrase that we have, okay, and it is a phrase, is burden bearer. Okay, that's the word that we're going to use. I guess I should capitalize it maybe. Burden bearer. Uh, this is the user we're gonna, the word that we're going to use to describe Christ in the book of Nahum. This would be a great little image already. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Okay. Obviously, God is the refuge. Obviously, he is the stronghold. Obviously, it's the same picture for, for Christ. We'll give into this a little bit more here, you guys, but just Psalm 46, verse 1. Psalm 46, verse 1. Again, you guys know this text. You understand this language, but God is our refuge and strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. Interesting enough, Nahum means comfort. Nahum means comfort or consolation. Isn't this cool about even his name is a reflection of who God is and who Christ is in the book of Nahum. Amidst the chaos coming to Nineveh, don't worry, Israelites, I've got you. That's what he says. He cares for those who take refuge in him. In verse 8 it says, but he will completely destroy Nineveh. Why does he say this? It's almost like this tornado mentality. I will put you into the closet. I will protect you, but everything else is going to be destroyed. Nineveh is going to be destroyed. My people are going to be okay. With an overwhelming flood, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. And he will chase his enemies into darkness. Whatever you plot against the Lord, he'll bring it to complete destruction. Oppression will not rise up a second time. In other words, whatever Nineveh tries, don't worry, it's not even going to work. God has this. This plot, these schemes, I'm done with it. Verse 10 for they will be consumed like entangled thorns, like the drink of a drunkard and like straw that is fully dry. One has gone out from you who plots evil against Yahweh and is a wicked counselor. Interesting, when you study this wicked counselor mentality, it's a person who possibly has been influenced by Satan. A satanic leadership, maybe an influence on their leadership. It's an interesting, this wicked counselor has somehow invaded into the scenario. And some would say this wicked counselor could be Sennacherib, who invaded Judah in 701 BC. So maybe because of this evil plot by Sennacherib, possibly, okay, which he's tied to Assyria, okay, invades Judah in 701 BC, hey, it's not going to work, the Lord says. Verse 12, then it says, this is what the Lord says, they're strong and though they are strong and numerous, They'll, they'll be mowed down and he'll pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. No longer is, okay, Assyria, even though they are in captivity here, no longer is you to have to be worried about Assyria anymore. That's what he's saying. I will afflict you no longer because of these guys. For here it is. I will now break off his yoke from you and tear off your shackles. Nahum 1.13 is like one of those, like it's an Old Testament song, you know, you think about the Jesus uh, songs and worship songs, break every chain, right? This is that language. He will break off those chains that you have been entangled with because of the Assyrians. And you no longer have to worry about this. Destruction is coming to those people. And I think it's an incredible picture that Jesus plays this same picture, this burden bearer. I mean, Kevin, if you go to Luke 4, Luke 4, 18, it's an image of Isaiah 61. And at the same time, an image of Luke 4, when Jesus is in the synagogue, and this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. You're going to get to that in Nahum in a little bit because he sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, 
recovery of sight to the blind and to set free the oppressed. Look at that role of the Messiah. The Messiah is here to bring freedom to the captives. It's very similar language to Matthew 11, verse 30. Matthew 11:30 has the same language. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am here to lift all of the things that we carry. It's that same image, you guys, in Nahum 1.13. For I will now break off his yoke from you and tear off your shackles. Physically, he's talking. But spiritually, isn't this an awesome picture of 2 Corinthians 5.21? 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the same image of Christ as a burden bearer. Look, look what Christ says. It says, he made, God made the one who did not know sin. Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ took on the sin, the burden that was meant for us. He carried it, the burden barrier. And so to me, this image of the Assyrians versus the Israelites. Yeah, it's like historical. Yeah, it's like a a war mentality. But really, he's saying those Assyrians who like are bullying you, they're fighting you, they're always invading you. I'll take care of them. Really, God? Wow. Wow. Thanks. Like, that's what he wants to do for us in all things. He wants to carry our burdens. So quit carrying the Assyrians around with you. Quit worrying about what's to come. Give this over to the Lord. One of my kids, you know, had like four tests today. Okay, they had to run and then they had all these tests. And like my response to this individual for my family was just like, look, you just have to give this to the Lord. Every single test, every single one. Don't worry about four tests, one at a time. Give these things over to him. Otherwise, You know what it is? It just becomes this crazy weight. (laughs) And he says, man, look, I'm going to just break off and tear off these shackles. Verse 14, the Lord has issued an order concerning you. Now, just so you know, this is judgment that's now coming to the Assyrians. Okay, the Lord has issued an order concerning you. There will be no offspring to carry on your name. I will eliminate the carved idol and cast image from the house of your gods, and I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. In other words, three judgments have been announced to Assyria, right here in verse 14. Verse 13, he says, I'm breaking the chains for the Israelites. In verse 14, he says, here's the judgment, okay? He says three different things. MacArthur says it this way, the king of Assyria, representing the nation, would become destitute of uh, descendants. No descendants are going to come. Number two, the gods by which they receive their authority would be crushed and destroyed. <laughs> and then finally, the third judgment is death is coming to the king, king of Assyria. And all of this, you guys, took place in 612 BC at the fall of Assyria. This is an incredible picture. I, I, just, I just think that the magnitude of this, and then in verse 15, look to the mountains. So here you have Mindy's incredible painting. Look to the mountains, the feet of one bringing good news and proclaiming peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah. Fulfill your vows for the wicked one will never again march through you. Okay, so Kevin, uh, he will be, in verse 15, it wraps up, for he will be entirely wiped out. He, meaning the king and the Assyrians, they're gone. So here's what I want you to do. Nahum, okay, so here we have Nahum over here, right? He's delivering a really good message. The really good message is for these guys, you're going to be set free for the Assyrians. Bad news. But we're not worried about the Assyrians. We want you to tell the good news. What? We want you to tell the good news. Peace is coming. Peace is taking place. And you better go do it. Hence, when I see this image of Mindy and the feet, I mean, this is a feat that delivers the good news. The feet that delivers peace is coming. But Kevin, what's the peace that they're declaring at this context? 
Peace from the Assyrians. Peace from the Assyrians. Deliverance, uh, because in Isaiah, can you go to Isaiah 52, verse 7 for me? Isaiah 52, verse 7. And it's crazy. It's the Babylonians that do this. The Babylonians are the ones that set them free, right? That's the craziest thing. The Babylonians are going to set the Assyrians free, but Kevin, then who puts them in captivity? Babylon. The Babylonians. Isaiah 52, 7, the prophet says very similar things. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. But I don't know how to put this. This good news doesn't happen unless you walk it out, unless you go tell people. The reality is, is I could declare, oh man, I've been changed. My life has been changed and I can say it in my house all I want. But until I go to my neighbors, until I walk, until I go into the schools, until I go into the gas stations, until I go into the grocery stores, until I begin to deliver this good news, you guys, how are they going to know about this good news? So you have a foreshadow in Nahum. Who would have thought a foreshadow of Nahum 1.15? They're declaring peace is coming to Jerusalem. Peace is coming to Judah. Peace is coming. But he says, please go tell them. And by the way, it's, it's beautiful feet. So Nahum 1.15 is an image. Isaiah 52 verse 7 is an unbelievable picture. But here's the fun one for me. This one should be the one that strikes a chord is Romans 10 verse 15. Romans 10 verse 15. It's this story. And it says, how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. In other words, now the good news <laughs> is that each one of us can have deliverance from sin. If we turn to the burden bearer, if we turn to him, this is a picture of, yes, he'll set you free from the shackles of the series, but oh, he'll set you free from the shackles of sin. But how will they know, Kevin, unless we go? Man, it's a great picture. It's the same image that we see in Luke 4. It's the same image that we see. In fact, can you go to Ephesians 2 for me, though, Kevin, too? Uh, there's one more image that I want us to paint here. Ephesians 2. I want to go to verse, uh, I believe, verse 18. Ephesians 2, verse 18 17. Thanks. So it says, when Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. You know, there's an image then, Kevin, even in, I think it's Ephesians 6 then, if you want to stay there. Uh, in Ephesians 6, this, this image of good news is peace. Ephesians 6, it talks about the gospel of peace. Uh, maybe, maybe verse 18, maybe. If not, there's this image. It's okay. Uh, yeah, there it is. A 15, thanks. So when we're talking about the, the armor of God, when we talk about the armor of God, we're supposed to be equipped, right? To go into battle. At the very end of, of the equipping, it talks about how your feet have been sandaled, have been uh, um, strapped on with this readiness for the gospel of peace. Look, when you deliver the good news, when people embrace the good news, the only thing I can tell you is, is that they receive the peace that can only come from Christ. That's why I believe this peace and this burden bearer, they, they, they tie together so beautifully. He carries our burdens. And when you have no burdens, what do you have? You have peace. 
So if I'm an Israelite and I'm worried about the Assyrians and I hear this word from Nahum, hey, by the way, all your enemies, the, the Ninevites, yeah, they did repent and return to the Lord 100 plus years ago, but man, they have it now and they've been a problem for us. And he says, by the way, they're all gone. <laughs> Can I just tell you in Matthew 28, he clearly tells us we are to be the beautiful feet. We are to be the feet that go. It says this in Matthew 28, 18, 19 and 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 20, you're teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this this good news, this message of peace, so you know this message of peace implies that every one of us are sinners and because of our sin, it leads to death. But because of what Christ has done on the cross, that that literally Christ who took on human flesh because he died and because God loved us so much that sin and death are literally gone. If we have faith, you ready for this? If we have faith in what he's done, then we can have eternal life. When you realize you have eternal life, you have peace. The problem was in the book of Nahum, the Ninevites turned away from that peace. The Ninevites turned away from what Jonah had already preached And so because of that, Nahum is pretty clear. Destruction is coming to the Ninevites. And so he says in Nahum 2, you guys, he really uses this image of God bringing forth. In Nahum 2.1, God literally brings forth a hammer. He brings forth the hammer and he's going to bring about total destruction to the people. And in fact, he even gets to the point where he begins to walk through. He's justified in doing what he's doing because Assyria has committed so many crimes. Because they've, just, they've, they've committed so many crimes in Nahum 3, he then begins to walk through this in verses 1 and 2. He describes the internal condition, you guys, of the city. And then in verses 3 through 4, J. Vernon McGee says, you begin to hear about the external condition of the city. And then in the process, besides from making slaves and selling slaves, it says in verse 5, God opposes all of this. And then they're hated and dreaded by the other nations. And yet... In this process, Thebes is going to be destroyed in verse 10. No Amin is going to be destroyed, okay, by Sargon of Assyria, but yet Assyria. But this is going to be an example to Assyria. What happened to Thebes, get ready, verses 11 through 18, it's going to fall to you. In verses 11 through 18, there's going to be a very detailed description of the destruction that comes to Nineveh. And now you know in verse 19, if you'll go to verse 19, it says there's no remedy. For your injury, there's no wound. Your wound is severe and all who hear the news about you, they're actually going to clap their hands. They're actually going to celebrate for who has not experienced your constant cruelty. J. Vernon McGee put it this way with Jonah and Nahum messages. Jonah's message, God will save you today. Nahum says, God will destroy you tomorrow. Crazy messages. And yet, same city, you guys. And I love what J. Vernon McGee says, God doesn't change, man does. If we rely on him, we don't have to worry about the destruction. But if we turn away from him, just think about Nineveh. Nineveh was a thriving city. They repented and they returned. And then when they turned away from the Lord and they ignored the news, destruction came. And yet, as as horrible as this story is of Nineveh being destroyed, people found peace when the word was delivered. Oh, good. We no longer have to worry about our enemies. 
Just so you know, you can always come to Jesus as the burden bearer and he'll, he'll carry all of those worries of your enemies, of your finances, of your marriage, of your relationships. Just come to him. Let him carry this for you. The Ninevites did not and destruction came. The Israelites looked to him and they found peace. All right, guys, that's been a full, full week Whew, of the Minor Prophets. And guess what? We'll do it all again next week with some new books. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks.